This is the real-life story of how I quit my awesome job as a clinical pharmacist of 11 years with no real plan of what I'd do next. I had a vague notion that I wanted something different to make a greater impact and to use different parts of my brain. I started talking to friends, then friends of friends, and so on and so forth. Now I'm discovering some brilliant career pivots proving that there is life after clinical pharmacy. And I wanted to share my journey with you. This is Career Reconstituted, how these pharmacists turn their job into a dream job. And I'm your host, Monica Metha. I'm so excited to be chatting with Dr. Wilson Tam today on Career Reconstituted because he paved such a unique pathway in pharmacy. He believes that leveraging technology can enable pharmacists to improve patient outcomes and practice at the top of their license. He's a pharmacist, an entrepreneur, and a techie. He started his career by managing a medication therapy management call center, followed by business development for a pharmacy services organization. Today, he leads the sales engineering team for Anovalon Pharmacy Business Unit, which provides specialty and home infusion pharmacy software. He's now a dad, enjoys weightlifting, trains in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and plays chess. Wilson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be on your podcast and talk to you. Is there anything you want to say or ask right off the bat? Um, I actually have been starting to listen to a lot of the podcasts too, and I'm like super fascinated. Do you, are people reaching out to you like I did, or are you reaching out to people to kind of like hop on your podcast? It's a mix. At the beginning, it was just me asking my friends. And then after that, people have started to reach out to me on LinkedIn and they just want to connect. And then I look at their profile and sometimes they seem like they have such a cool, innovative job. And I'm like, oh, please join me on my podcast. There's another time where I did a CE on um, cannabis and I, it was written by a pharmacist. I was like, this is really well written. So I reached out to him on LinkedIn and I said, hey, can you talk about working in a dispensary? Because I don't think anyone that I know has any idea of what pharmacists do. What is their day to day? And I have yet to hear back, but so does sometimes me reaching out. Previously, I had Frank Harvey, was the, who was the CEO of SureScripts, and I went to a talk in D.C., and he was there. And then in the morning at 4 a.m., I woke up and I sent him a message on LinkedIn. And then at 4.30 a.m., he wrote back and said, sure, I'd love to do it. So it's a mix, but it's been fun um, hearing from people from everywhere, all parts of pharmacy, reach out, say hi. That's awesome. I feel like it's starting to reach that like almost tipping point where, Monica, you're starting to get big. So I don't know, this might be what you're doing for, for a while now. Well, I knew I was big when Wilson Tam reached out to me. <laughs> and then I was like, I have made it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> so Wilson, um, I think what you do is pretty cool, but it's also like very mysterious. If you're at a dinner party and someone asks you, what do you do? What's your answer to that? Yeah. So I've actually thought about this and I've read some articles uh, after we chatted last. And I was like, you know what I need? I need a personal brand statement 
Uh, and so this is what I've come up with. So pharmacist by background, and I work in healthcare technology now. So I help uh, new customers like understand what our software does, how does it work, give the demonstrations, and then ultimately help them solution for it. I love it. I love that. And then let's say you have a couple more minutes with them and they really are intrigued by this and they say, well, what exactly is that? Can you give an example? What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, regular pharmacy, I think most people have a very good understanding of. You walk in, uh, generally all the prescriptions are e-prescriptions now, and then they run your insurance um, package, dispense the product, and then you walk out of the pharmacy with the product. So what I do is I work in specialty and home infusion and a lot of the more complex therapies and products. So what happens when you have multiple insurances? What happens when there's prior authorization involved? What happens if there's financial assistance that needs to be navigated? What if there are unique programs required just to get access to that medication? That's what I do. I work for the software company that helps put that together. And then I work with customers to understand how this could help improve their business, both from a efficiency standpoint, but also from a patient care perspective. So you work with high maintenance drugs. Yes. And so, uh, Specialty medications and specialty is kind of like a broad spectrum of it. It's probably only 1% to 2% of all prescription volume, but it represents uh, 50% or more of all of the pharmacy revenue and costs that occurs. So we're talking you know, chronic inflammatory diseases, oncology, uh, very expensive, very complex therapies. Um, and from that, we've kind of, Spurn and grown. So there's home infusion software. Um, last time we talked, we also talked about uh, the new gene cell therapies that are two and a half million dollars a pop. Um, how do we, in the face of what are increasingly expensive and increasingly complex medications, provide software that will help scale that out and make it easier not just to handle those medications and all the tasks that go along with it but how do we continue to follow patients and actually improve care as part of that increased efficiency mm -hmm. so specialty medications are expensive they're complex like gene therapy or biologics or injectables mm -hmm. and they also aren't used that often right so you're run-in-the-mill CVS or Walgreens, they're not going to carry that drug, so they have to be supplied from these specialty pharmacies, right? Is that sort of what it is? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And um, called out CVS, they called out Walgreens. CVS has their own specialty pharmacy. Uh, Walgreens has their own specialty pharmacy. And the thought process is um, it doesn't make sense for retail-level stores to kind of dispense these medications. Why? Because they're complex. Two, there's a lot to navigate. And three, they might not have the expertise to understand the intricacies of like an oncology therapy and, and what like a home infused oncology therapy might entail. And so that generally gets mm -hmm. centralized in one or two different locations. They work through all of those front end processes as well as the management and the clinical back end. And then most of them are shipped either directly to the patient or a physician site uh, or 
know, we have been seeing new models uh, with drop shipping where you can pick it up from your local CVS or Walgreens and they'll ship it there. You can pick up the rest of your meds with it. Mm-hmm. So there are complex medications that specialty pharmacies dispense and get to patients and you work on the software to help the pharmacy or the physicians or who's your user of your software? Yeah, the user is uh, or are pharmacies. So pharmacies who, and a lot of specialty pharmacies kind of consolidated between the big three or four, depending on how you want to group it out. <clears throat> but all of the pharmacies are looking to uh, find and handle more complex regimens and then grow their business to part of that specialty pharmacy. So the customer is the pharmacy. And then what we do is our calling card specifically is that it's extremely configurable so that it meets the business needs of those pharmacies. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say I'm a pharmacist, I work at a specialty pharmacy and I get a very complicated chemotherapeutic regimen mm -hmm. and I get the order that comes through as an e-prescription to my terminal and I have a new prescription. So where does your software come into play on my workflow? Yeah, absolutely. So we are uh, ScriptMed is what the platform's called. So might as well put a name to it, but uh, ScriptMed handles all of the end-to-end. -end. So from when the prescription first comes in the door, all the way to the billing, the revenue cycle management, uh, and clinical management of that prescription. So um, as I'm thinking through it, you might get a new oncology prescription, but chances are uh, you're going to need a prior authorization for it. So the question is, where does that information and data come from and how we as a pharmacy may help with that prior authorization process? Um, we need to do a form of benefits verification. So identifying, okay, uh, are we doing regular pharmacy benefit and adjudicating a claim or are we potentially going through a medical benefit to get that coverage? Uh, establishing Cytocare, if it's a infused product, we need to think about coordination. Is it going to a physician's office to be infused or is it like a home infusion product that we could tell? And if it is home infusion, then we have to coordinate the nursing around it. Um, do we need patient assistance? You know, is the patient able to financially uh, receive this medication? And there's all this like background labor of love, we'll call it, that pharmacies do that's kind of unspoken uh, that no one really knows about. And there's a couple ways you can do it. So traditionally, a lot of these products is, okay, we're going to keep very detailed Excel sheets and, and emails and try to keep everything coordinated that way. Well, what our system tends to do is based on the plan and based on the drug, you can actually build those protocols into the system. So it starts to become more system driven. As you continue to grow and scale and add new drugs and add new products, you can continue to configure and add those elements to the system. So um, as you hire more people, like the system is going to drive that workflow instead of just people knowing or having to know what to do. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's a one-stop shop and it's preemptively asking the questions that the pharmacist may not even know to ask and pulling in that information so that it does the work for, it does the work for the pharmacist essentially. Yeah, and um, as as this kind of um, 
as more and more products come to market, uh, most specialty or yeah, most specialty pharmacies engage with pharmaceutical manufacturers directly to to work with them on programs. Mm. Um, there are enhanced service programs where uh, if there's additional clinical uh, questions or information to be collected or additional services that are being rendered, pharmacies or especially pharmacies or home infusion pharmacies are more and more working directly with those manufacturers to deliver those services. So that's just like another oh, that's layer and element on top of what's kind of being, being done today as well. Yeah, because the companies have a stake in it too. They want their medications to be used correctly so that they could have good outcomes for their patients. So that makes sense. Um, so I had a previous conversation with a clinical informaticist, Robert Witcher, um, who he he's a clinical pharmacist. And what he does is work with an Epic analyst or an EHR analyst to build drug order sets to make to decrease the error rate, to make things easier, to kind of nudge prescribers to do the right thing. Is that sort of what you guys do too, but for specialty drugs? Um, sort of, I would say, um, it, it, I, I separate it into kind of like two different categories. There's the, what I call blocking and tackling. Like how do we, in the most efficient way, get this drug to the patient the cheapest way? And there's just so much coordination and so many different stakeholders and players that uh, for each product, you kind of just need to know how to do it and who you're working with and who you have relations with. So that's like part one. Uh, part two for me is like, okay, well, how does this sustain uh, either improved patient outcomes or improved uh, growth, either with a pharmaceutical manufacturer, with the industry, et cetera. And so what we're able to do is, um, either load in custom data collects or assessments or different uh, interventions that you're going to do with the patient to kind of deliver that value for patients. Uh, or you're going to be working directly with manufacturers and implementing a lot of what they would like to see from a clinical perspective. And the lines kind of blur sometimes, like especially with the more expensive products, they are limited distribution products. And what that means is not every pharmacy can have access to it. So if there's mm -hmm. only four, five, six, ten pharmacies who have access to the product, especially pharmacies are competing to say, hey, and they're raising my hand, this is why I should be a network, because I do this, this, and this, and I do this better than everyone else, and these are the results that I can deliver. The only way to capture all of that information and to be able to deliver that story is through in my opinion, using technology to, to ensure that you're really structured in the way that you're running your operation. Yeah, I agree. Take out the variables. <laughs> Make it idiot proof. Well, <laughs> <speak>. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I if I was the pharmacist at the specialty pharmacy and you get all of these very novel agents that are very niche I'm not going to know anything about it. So I'm going to rely on a software to help guide me as far as not just the, is the pre-auth done? Who is the payer? Are we going to get paid? But also like the clinical parameters, the mixing of it, the dispensing of it. So I think it's a really important resource. Yeah. And I think there's starting to be more of a shift. Uh, I feel like the industry is, 
kind of going through shifts. So especially pharmacy, I mean, everyone's been talking about it for a long time. Um, it's going to continue to grow, but it's starting to consolidate kind of at the very top, you know, between uh, the mm -hmm. big kind of specialty players that are, you know, vertically aligned with the payer and PBM. That's where mm -hmm. a lot of those prescriptions and volumes going. Uh, there are, there is, however, a huge shift towards home infusion services. And we were talking about this the other day. Um, if oral antibiotics don't work, you need maybe a four-week or six-week course of IV antibiotics. Someone who worked in infectious disease, do you keep the patient mm -hmm. in the hospital while you're giving that and keeping them in the hospital for six no. weeks? No. <laughs> no. You don't want to do that. Yeah. And so now there's uh, infusion suites that are popping up. There are infusion centers that are popping up. Uh, adjacent to pharmacies, there are uh, a huge growth in home infusion services that are mm -hmm. being offered now, uh, and a lot of it is very localized. So, yeah, to be able to manage what are IV antibiotics, like there are national players, but there are also a whole bunch of what we'll call maybe mom and pop type shops who offer a great service for their local community to not have to be in the hospital and for it to be super convenient for them to receive their therapy at home. So those are the home infusion companies. Mm -hmm. So you're making a distinction between the specialty pharmacies and the home infusion companies and your software services, both of those entities. Yes. And I think um, we're starting to serve more and more groups. I think the, the unifying theme is if it's really hard and complex, we're the ones for you. Um, there are Love probably it. better software for like just regular retail and filling prescriptions. Um, but if it's really complicated, uh, we're the ones for you. And um, we're starting to have a lot of conversations around companies around gene cell therapies. So uh, one of the presentations I just did recently was around hemgenics. So uh, hemophilia treatment. High level, what you're doing is you are uh, using. Say the a, name of the product again. Say the name of the product. So H E M G E N I X. Okay, Hemgenics. And what does it do? It works in hemophilia. How does it work? It works. Like, in what does it do exactly? Yeah, yeah. So it's a one time gene cell therapy. It's using an adenovirus. And basically, what it does is it's going to teach your liver to make the clotting factor to essentially cure your hemophilia. That is so cool. That The future is now. I mean, I thought mRNA was cool. This is next level. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, the therapy costs two and a half million dollars, which is very expensive and very scary. And people ask, you know, why is it so expensive? But if you think about current hemophilia treatments today, uh, the clotting factors used to treat that are, you know, um, you have to get those injections every week prophylactically. If you have emergency bleeds um, or, or even bruising, you know, someone has to rush that product to you so you can stop bleeding. Patients today are still getting uh, uh, swollen joints and a lot of the other internal bleeding issues associated. And those patients are costing like a million dollars a year today. Well, I, I feel like drug cost is another podcast because, you know, 
drug companies charge what the market will bear. It's not right. based on anything else. And, you know, the market will bear, what did you say? $2 million? Two and a half. Million. What'd you say? Two and a half million dollars because, you know, people will think, well, I could do a million dollars a year of, you know, products, replacement products and hospitalization, stuff like that. Or I could just pay 2.5 now and it's investment. I'll get return on investment. So they have all the economists in their company thinking of that. But yeah, I mean, it's a really cool, really cool drug. So I, I, I'll just leave it at that. But um, okay. So you, so Hemgenics is out and it's a specialized It'll involve specialty pharmacies and home infusion companies. So what were you going to say about it as far as your company? Yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> sounds like it's, it's amazing, right? You just take it once and you're, you're done. Uh, but there's so much more complexity to it. Um, mm -hmm. Just the product and handling of the product itself, uh, being how expensive it is and how we're going to get it. There's only, I think, nine infusion centers in the country right now. That number may grow. It's just podcast gets released, but uh, who who are able to handle and infuse that medication. Um, you're teaching your liver to uh, make clotting factor. We have to make sure your liver is an appropriate rate. Uh, from a lifestyle perspective, you know, are you uh, a heavy alcohol user? That may disqualify you from it. Uh, this product itself doesn't require it, but some other products may require some genetic testing to see if you're eligible and available. Uh, and for this one, I think you have to follow up with lab work every week for three months or something to that nature. And then after that, there's ongoing follow-up to make sure that your body's still creating uh, in what we'll call like a durable therapy where it's still creating clotting factors. So um, even though it's like a one-time pop as a pharmacy, you're going to be responsible for coordinating both the pre-treatment and a lot of the post-treatment follow-up to ensure that this patient is going to be successful. And once again, all those unspoken, unthought about, and uh, work that great work that pharmacists do that doesn't really get publicized. Um, there's so much of that. And if we're going to be following a patient for five years, even after therapy, you're going to need a system to do. How do pharmacies get reimbursed that's a lot of work if they're just going to get reimbursed based on the prescription being filled mm -hmm. it doesn't seem cost effective for a pharmacy well it might at two and a half million dollars uh so that's always the and that's probably its own podcast because uh not only are drug prices high but it seems like a lot of pharmacies are going underwater with some of these products too so but that's its own is it a 503b thing um, for this product, I would say probably not. Um, I think it's just reimbursement is often occluded, uh, in, in, and drug prices are often occluded. No, I think every so often, even if we hop on LinkedIn, we'll, we'll see pharmacists complain about, they almost, they spend more money just buying the product and what they get reimbursed for. A lot of that has to do with contracting, negotiated rates, uh, potential rebates, and things that are what should not be this complex for drug pricing. Well, that's why you're saying that there is vertical alignment between insurance companies, PBMs, and specialty pharmacies, right? 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, you'll see, uh, and we generally, uh, big three, if you think about, uh, we'll take CVS, for example, um, owned by a health plan, and then their PBM, Caremark, uh, followed by CVS Specialty, uh, as well as all their ties to providers as well. Uh, that model is, if specialty is such a big business, why don't we capture all that revenue? And if we're the ones setting the prices too, then we get to almost choose, okay, well, where do we want money to go? Because at the end of the day, it's all going to stay within that same vertical stack. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Well, I mean, it's obvious that you are very smart. You're like solving a Rubik's cube every day with this job, trying to like troubleshoot very complicated, expensive, and, you know, tenuous situations. But how did you get here? I mean, tell us a little bit more about you now. Like you finished pharmacy school and almost immediately you started doing something different than any other pharmacist. We're all trained. You go into hospital or you go into retail or community and you went into medication therapy management, MTM, which no one does. So how did you get there? Yeah. Uh, through luck. So, um, as I was a pharmacy student, uh, and that's when we met actually as I was a pharmacy student, um, I had a really great rotation at the department of health with Dr. Vibidiara. So, what, um, and it was a two month rotation, so longer than most. And we spent a lot of time looking at public health, looking at, uh, different opportunities for pharmacists to kind of get involved, uh, beyond just retail or within a hospital setting. And I would say that rotation really changed my perspective and outlook on pharmacy. So even taking a few steps back, I got into pharmacy because my parents told me to do it. And we're like, hey, it's a good, safe job. You can get a license. I was like, okay. And so uh, being who I was and the thought process I put together, I'm going to do the bare minimum to get my pharmacy degree. Uh, most of the professors uh, will say, yeah, well, some pretty terrible student overall. Um, but uh, once I had that rotation, it was the first time that, A, my eyes got open to what the possibilities could be. You know, at that point, I was resolved to count by fives, so to speak, and just work retail. Um, but that expanded my my thought process and horizon. From there, I actually started to take a real interest and passion in nature itself. And so uh, through after, I don't know, three to four years of academic negligence, we'll call it, I started actually learning all of the material and content because I could see how this knowledge could help uh, patients I was working with. And so that change in perspective, um, she then introduced me to, uh, and then I interviewed for the position. Well, can Luckily, I just stop, stop you yeah. there to say that, you know, I used to be a pharmacy professor and I precepted so many students and the most rewarding thing you could ever hear as a pharmacy professor is that you impacted someone's career to this extent. You know, and just to also reflect when I met you through New York City Society of Health System Pharmacists, you know, I was the president at the time and I had the student texting me, where's the meeting? I was like, oh, who is this student? But I guess I texted you back and you showed up. And then over the next few years, I realized like 
he's really smart and he is a go-getter and he's really thinking outside of the box. What is he going to be one day and look at who you are? But really it, it all comes down to having an instrumental pharmacy professor. So Dr. Aria, I mean, this is going to be a thank you to you and all the other professors out there that do the work because, you know, the fruits of your labor actually happen, maybe unbeknownst to you. So I'm glad uh, that we were able to acknowledge her. Yeah, no, she's great. And uh, maybe a little bit of a diamond in the rough for me, but it, it really not only changed like my perspective on things, but really drove me in a different direction. Uh, she gave an introduction for that internship to become an MTM. So I was uh, involved with MTM even before I graduated. And then as soon as I graduated, they made me an offer to, to work as a pharmacist with them and eventually help uh, run the uh, one of the call centers and satellite sites as well. And so, kind of one thing led to another. And then um, the same company also had a specialty pharmacy. They did a lot of work with HIV patients. And so, started shifting from MTM to uh, specialty. And then, I feel like my career has been kind of one lucky break after another and falling into what are just really interesting aspects of pharmacy. So how did you transition from doing MTM and specialty pharmacy into doing tech? Yeah. So while I was uh, working as an MTM pharmacist, another student and I actually started putting together what was like a rough setup for, uh, uh, okay. So to take a step back, uh, one of the major challenges with HIV patients is adherence. Uh, the HIV therapies mm -hmm. themselves are extremely effective and durable. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that points to if your viral load is undetectable, you know, you're you're essentially not going to be spreading HIV as well. So mm -hmm. huge public health initiative. If you can get patients to stay adherent on their medications long term, um, you're you're doing a great service, not just for the patient, but public health overall. So um, mm -hmm. what another student and I did is we started putting together um, adherence reports that we can use to coordinate between physicians and the pharmacy to stay aligned on those adherence, as well as maybe other factors that may be barriers to adherence and kind of working and coordinating through that. Um, my friend so you, you, you saw a problem, you identified a problem, which is lack of knowledge on the healthcare practitioner's part of patient adherence. So you and your friend made a software to help track that. Exactly. And we started, uh, and we did it with, you know, the, the company I was working for. Um, we started rolling it out and doing pilots, uh, soliciting feedbacks from physicians. And it seems so simple now, but like even just a one page report that can go right into a patient's clinical chart at the time, you know, before each um, made a huge difference in how we coordinated care for patients. And so that's and our- And you guys uh, made that report by programming it. So you knew a little bit about programming. Yeah, I will say he did most of the coding. Uh, it's been a while since I've, I've done anything. I can probably barely write a SQL statement today, um, but it was the design the actual coding of it. And that's where I started getting into, okay, well, 
what else can we do with some of the skill sets that we have. Uh, he eventually moved on to another position, but uh, I stayed with the company. We ended up working with independent developers to develop uh, different uh, reports or apps or things. And we actually ended up developing our own MTM platform within the company as well. So it got really big. That's so cool. Yeah. And we did, um, I forget the total volume, but we rolled it out amongst the entire team and we did a huge project with UPMC uh, before they, you know, kind of built their own. So that kind of led into uh, the specialty pharmacy eventually was acquired by private equity. Uh, they wanted to grow and scale this Amazing. out. And um, that's how I started getting involved. They were like, hey, well, can you know how to use a computer? Uh, could you help us with implementation? Could you help us with this? And the same company that I work for today, that software that I'm, you know, help sell is the same software that I started using, you know, 10, 11 years uh, ago. So it all started with an idea and then it just grew and grew. Yeah. And, and you grew with it. Luckily fell into right place, right time, started using that software became a super user, configured that software, and then eventually grew with it. And then when this role kind of opened up, um, they were looking for salespeople actually. And then I applied for the position, um, almost like coming home in a way, because a lot of the people that I've worked with before on the software side uh, are still with the company today. So uh, my interview was almost like catching up with people rather than, you know, uh, an interview how we I mean have. you were it was a given that you would get hired in this role which you know so I, I I love your evolution and you it's such a beautiful pathway to have become who you are today it's such a great story and I, I wish I had a story like that and I wish everyone has a story like that but most people don't most people do like the hospital and retail route and then they get to a point in their career where they're like enough I want to do something novel and interesting look at what Wilson's doing but Yours was like climbing up a mountain step by step. So you can't just like jump and fly onto the top of the mountain. So what advice would you give others like, you know, young people just starting on the career and then old people like me, mid-career professionals, like if they want to get into healthcare tech, how do they do that? What's your advice? Um, I have no idea. I, I feel like my path is so unique, right? So um, I think we talked about some of the cool things that are happening. So if I was to give advice, like find cool things that are happening that you're passionate about. And for me, it was like, I understood processes and technology. Um, I fell mm -hmm. into especially pharmacy. Um, I thought that was cool. I fell into MTM. I thought that was cool. Find passions of what you want to do. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with staying in retail or clinical, but if it's, if you wanted to go beyond that, uh, I think jumping straight into healthcare tech is, is pretty challenging without at least some sort of unique niche uh, that maybe mm -hmm. you can leverage your pharmacy degree to kind of get into first so that you have marketable skills that uh, someone will want. Because I think as you start working, especially pharmacy or whatever cool thing you find, you're going to find the problems in it. And for the mm -hmm. most part, those problems could be solved with tech. Yeah. So identify a problem and the solution, but that's like intimidating thing. 
for most people. Um, so I, I recently had a conversation with Dr. Samia Beg, who is, she works for the New York City Department of Health, and now she works in Rhode Island, but she taught herself R and she taught herself Python, and to, she figured out how to work with large data sets to answer clinical questions. And I feel like that's a more of a pathway I can understand, like learn something and then use that. Um, other than that, it's hard to know how to tackle this thing. Yeah, I will say um, there, there's probably a whole cohort of people who have who are self-taught coders or developers or who like have went to a boot camp and then say like, oh, okay, now I can. But even then, it becomes a, a process and evolution just because you do know coding language. Okay, can you solve problems? with that coding language. Mm. Um, those I think are like maybe tools that you can use, but the actual skills, in my opinion, are still, how can I use those tools to solve those problems? Um, mm. As you start finding problems, eventually you'll realize like, hey, I don't have this tool that I need. Then you can go get those tools. And I will say with the advent of uh, ChatGPT today, um, you don't necessarily, you need to understand a lot of the concepts, but you don't necessarily need to be doing the actual hard coding itself anymore. There's so many GitHub repositories. Uh, ChatGPT is actually really good at helping solving a lot of the coding issues, at least in my experience. So mm. I think that process is evolving. I think old advice would have been, oh, just do a, boot camp and learn the skills and apply. Uh, I don't think in today's environment, that's really where it is. People are going to be looking for people who have experience, who've solved problems. Um, just having the tool itself is no longer enough. Oh, interesting. So using AI to do the, the programming, but you have to have the high level knowledge of what you're doing, what problem you're solving. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. AI and ChatGPT and the, um, it's really good. It's the, I would think one of the biggest applications of it is actually improving the efficiency at solving, uh, what we'll call coding problems, quote unquote, because you can ask it questions mm. and it will give you answers. And as you keep refining it and then think about it in terms of how it's going to fit within your maybe database structure, um, you can get there a lot quicker than, than it would, you would have previously. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you use it routinely in your work? Um, not as much in my work. Um, I, every so often different projects and stuff, uh, or other things that I'm tinkering with on the side, I'll use ChatGPT to see, you know, how we would put some stuff together. You know, a lot of my work today is, um, actually very prospect and customer facing. So, you know, hey, we have this software platform. Let's think of all the ways it can make you efficient, you know, because at least in technology, there's like three things that tech does. It's either going to make someone's life easier uh, or mm -hmm. it's going to make some uh, allow you to do something faster or cheaper uh, or it's going to improve something that allow you to do something that you couldn't do before. And so mm -hmm. my job is to work with customers and be like, okay, well, what? lines of business you do, what drugs you do, what programs you have, what are the complexities of your business? And 
or make you money. Mm. Mm-hmm. I can see why, why you are good at what you do. Cause you like pull in the pharmacy, the tech, the knowledge of the software, the sales aspect of it. Um, so I, I, I see why you're good at what you do and how you evolve to do that. Um, but what's next for you? Um, I think I really enjoy being a dad. Um, I, I think at least, and I know there's a career focused podcast, but I, I almost don't want to lose no. sight. Of, life, you know, life is important. Yeah. Uh, life, life is good. You know, I, I think I really, really enjoy what I'm doing today. Um, I enjoy being good at what I'm doing today, which I think a lot of people like want to, to have in their career. And I really enjoy being, you know, young parents and, and watching kids grow. So, um, I don't know what's next, but also I don't know if I need to have so much more next, you know, I'm just happy being Mm -hmm. where I am and doing what I'm doing. I love that answer so much.